Welcome back, everyone, to Takes by the Lake. Doug Maurice here from Cleveland.com. Thanks for joining me again this week on our all-sports Cleveland podcast that is almost always about the Browns. Uh, we checked in on the Indians a couple weeks ago with Jeff Passan. I liked that one. I thought it was good. Uh, maybe we'll get to the Indians again before uh, before they either get kicked out of the playoffs or win the World Series. But I got to tell you, man, Baker Mayfield, right? I mean, uh, my hands are tied. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? This Baker Mayfield, you've been waiting for 20 years for a quarterback. You want to talk about the quarterback. So our guest this week will help me talk about the Browns quarterback. His name is Kevin Cole. He's an interesting guy. He's the kind of person I like to have on here. You can follow him on Twitter at Cole underscore Kev. And he's from Roto Grinders. He's a uh, director of data and analytics. He's a number crunching guy who will help us dig in on Baker Mayfield and some other Browns things too. Talk about their defense, how they built this. Um, but I, 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 this is going to unfold over the course of this season. And this is going to be a very, I think, interesting area for Browns fans to follow because what's going to happen in Cleveland is that we're going to get to talk about the quarterback position in the NFL and Cleveland, your guy is going to be in the conversation. This is not going to be a conversation anymore where Cleveland fans are pressed up against the window, smudging up the window, breathing their hot, desperate breath on the quarterback window, and on the other side of the are the quarterbacks, right? The quarterbacks are inside, and you're on the outside, and you're parka freezing, and they're inside, and you can't get to them. Baker Mayfield has brought you to the inside, okay? So this is the deal that I think is interesting. It's not just me. You can see this. We're in the midst of a quarterback revolution. Or if it's not a revolution, it's just a, I don't know. A political thing, a, 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 a new, uh, the, we're getting to term limits. There's a new election, and some of these quarterbacks are going to be term limited out. Because the same guys have been the best quarterbacks in the NFL for like more than a decade. And we're getting to the point where those guys, and obviously, specifically, I'm mostly talking about Drew Brees, Tom Brady, and Ben Roethlisberger. They're not going to be the best guys for very much longer. Um, and somebody else is going to have to be the new best guys. And, and I just think that's going to be fascinating to dig in on. Um, I just did some quick numbers, and this is the kind of thing that I'm going to write about in third and short in the coming weeks, the kind of thing that, that we can talk about all year and for the coming years. Uh, here on Takes by the Lake, we can write about it at cleveland.com. Breaking down the NFL starting quarterbacks, and again, Kevin Cole and I are going to dig into this a little bit, but just a quick little noodling on the old notepad. Uh, 15, 15 of the starting quarterbacks in the NFL right now came into the league in the last five years. Now, this is how this works, right? There's more recent guys because the some of these guys are going to end up bombing out, but they're in the trial stage yet. So some of the older guys, there's not as many older guys because a lot of them have, have bombed out over the years. But we are in the trial stage on a lot of these young guys. There are three quarterbacks who came into the league in 2014, two in 15, three in 16, three in 17, and four rookies are already starting, as you know. 
Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen. Okay, so this group of 15, from this group will emerge the guys who are going to lead the NFL forward. Okay, the 2014 guys are Derek Carr, Blake Bortles, and Jimmy Garoppolo, who just got hurt, but I'm still counting him. The 2015 guys, uh, Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston may already be half on the way out, but I'm still keeping them there. The 2016 guys, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, Dak Prescott. Maybe you're iffy on Dak. I don't think anybody is iffy on Jared Goff or Carson Wentz right now. The 17 guys, Patrick Mahomes has taken the world over. Deshaun Watson, Mitch Trubisky, and the four rookies. So in that group of 15 guys, we're talking about the future of the league. Okay, And guess what? Your guy's in there. How exciting is that? Your guy is in there. No more hot breath on the window. Now, Seven starting quarterbacks came from 2011 and 2012, okay? The 2012 guys, that's the Andrew Luck class. And although RG3 didn't make it, there's some other interesting guys in there. Ryan Tannehill's in there. Kirk Cousins is in there. Case Keenum is in there. Russell Wilson is in there. So five guys from 2012, that's more than any other year right now who are starting. Two guys from 2011, that's Andy Dalton and Cam Newton, Okay. But here's the thing, and, and here's where I want to get to the interesting part that I think is, is fascinating. The years 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010, okay? That is a five-year period. Guess how many current starting NFL quarterbacks there are who entered the league in that five-year period? There are three, okay? That is the vast wasteland of quarterbacking. And that is what this new crop must make up for. Because this group behind, okay, there's seven guys who are older than that. The seven guys who are older are Tom Brady, who's ancient. Drew Brees is right behind him. The three guys who are all Hall of Famers from the 04 class. Eli Manning, Phillip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, okay? And then the 2005 class of Aaron Rodgers and Alex Smith. Those seven guys, okay, are very solid. Then there is a five-year vast wasteland that produced only three guys. Okay? Cam Newton, Andy Dalton. No, not Cam Newton. Three guys in that period is Joe Flacco, Matt Ryan, Matthew Stafford. Okay? Those are the only three guys from 06 to 2010. Three guys. Okay? Then there's this group of seven from 11 and 12, and then there's none in 13, And then we have 15 guys in the last five years. So, Baker Mayfield, Patrick Mahomes, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Sam Darnold. These are the guys, Jimmy Garoppolo. um, These are the guys who will be leading the NFL forward. And so I think we're going to have a lot of discussion in the next couple years where Baker Mayfield fits into that. Okay? How good is he going to be? Is he a franchise quarterback? Is he even more than that? Is he an an all-pro kind of quarterback? How does he compare to Patrick Mahomes? How does he compare to Jared Goff and Carson Wentz? Are some of these guys going to end up playing playoff games against each other, playing Super Bowls against each other? This is the new quarterback revolution, and Cleveland is involved. Now, tell me we're one game in. We're a half. Baker Mayfield has not even played a full game in the NFL, and I am including him in the quarterback revolution Screw it. I'm doing it. Okay? You see it. The world sees it. This guy is worth getting excited about. 
Guys miss, right? Sometimes guys miss. But right now, nobody is thinking that Baker Mayfield's going to miss. So that's what I want to talk about. Now that Baker Mayfield has taken over the starting job, one that he may hold for the next decade, we're no longer talking about who, okay? We're not talking about who with the Browns quarterback. We're talking about how, how far he can take the Browns, how he fits into the conversation of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. How good is he going to be? Not who is it going to be? How good is he going to be? So that's what we're talking about on Takes by the Lake. Again, I'm Doug Maurice. You can drop a couple reviews if you want on iTunes. Again, some very nice reviews last week. Much appreciated. Please read me at cleveland.com, OSU. Not OSU. Cleveland.com in general. Cleveland.com in general. OSU. I do OSU. Got my OSU stuff there. Got a lot of Brown stuff. Going to have more Indian stuff. I'll be at the home playoff games. So, again, good time coming up in Cleveland sports. Um, but the idea, I just thought it was fascinating the other day that you had Cavs Media Day on Monday. And it was like, hey, this is this is the new world. This is the non-LeBron world, right? The greatest basketball player of all time left Cleveland. And this was the new Cavs being introduced to the world. And you know what? Nobody was that worried about it because that was the day Baker Mayfield became the Browns' starting quarterback. How about that? You didn't even have time to miss LeBron because the first time the Cavs came out and presented themselves to the world as a non-LeBron team, Baker Mayfield was officially named Cleveland's starting quarterback. Out with LeBron, in with Baker, and away we go in Cleveland sports. This is Kevin Cole. Thanks to Kevin for joining me. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. Again, that is at at Cole underscore Kevin. You can follow me at Doug Maurice and enjoy our conversation here on Takes by the Lake. All right, joined by Kevin Cole on Takes by the Lake, the director of data and analytics for Roto Grinders, and just another smart, smart football dude. This is a podcast for smart football people, and Kevin is definitely one of those. He's a great Twitter follow. So, Kevin, thanks for your time today. I appreciate it, Doug. Uh, listen to the pod, big fan, so it's, it's good to make an appearance. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Um, we're going to dig in on two things. One, I want you to help us put Baker Mayfield in a broader context of young quarterbacks in this league. But also... We're going to talk about he who shall not be named. It is a divisive name in the Browns universe, but I think we're going to talk about it in a smart way um, and just talk a little bit about specifically this Browns defense and how it was built up and why it seems to be in pretty good shape. And yes, Sashi Brown obviously played a large role in building up this Browns defense. But we'll start with Baker because everybody loves Baker and nobody is turning off their podcast because anyone talks about Baker. So Kevin Cole. You are you are dealing with a new metric, right? That you're sort of putting some numbers together and trying to use some some numbers in a little bit of a different way that you're coming up with to evaluate some of these quarterbacks. Can you explain this metric that you're dealing with, and then we can dig into how Baker Mayfield fares in what you're talking about with these numbers you're crunching? Sure. So. I developed something where I'm calling it a quality metric, and it's just looking at what's happened so far this year. But there's a lot of noise in what happens, not only at the quarterback position, but you know, running back defenses, other places. And a lot of that 
is specific to big plays. Uh, I mean, for instance, anyone who watched the Monday night game, uh, Roethlisberger completed uh, a pass to Vance McDonald, and it looked like it was going to be, you know, a 20-something yard gain at best, but then, you know, he throws up a stiff arm and he takes it all the way to the house. So it's plays like that where even if you're looking at quarterbacks, strictly on the basis of numbers, not on the basis of the eye test, there can still be misleading plays because those are lumpy. They can come uh, in bunches in particular games, and then you can go through for a long drought. So what I'm attempting to do with this metric is to focus more on consistently being successful because what you find is successful plays. Now, these are plays that I'm defining as when you, when you finish the play, you're in a better position to score points according to the numbers based on historical averages from field position, uh, down in distance, all those different things. You're in a better position to score points than you were before before that play. So it, it would rate everything, let's say, from a six-yard completion to a 70-yard completion all as being a, a success and anything less than that as being a failure on something like first and 10. But what it, what it does is quarterbacks who consistently are successful throwing the ball will eventually have big plays. And especially in the NFL Mm. where the key is to sustain drives, to keep possession of the ball, uh, um, continuing to continually be successful is the most important. So that's the biggest part of the metric that that I'm using. It's about half of the metric is whether or not you're successful or not. And then I also throw in that explosiveness, the yards per play. And then the last thing I throw in there is a little bit, more of a of a, a difficult, I mean, complicated subject, and that's what they call this expected points added. But, but what that's basically doing is is trying to tie each play a, a player makes directly to how many more points that that you expect. So all three of those are are put into the statistic, but it's supposed to be better at projecting what's going to happen going forward than just looking at how many yards or how many touchdowns have been generated so far. So it's it's really adjusting for like an overall level of sort of high level competence but taking out those things where you throw an eight yard pass but the receiver makes a play and turns into a 70 yard touchdown because you're figuring over time any good quarterback is going to have those happen sort of as a matter of chance but in the moment in this evaluation there's no point in rewarding a quarterback for those plays in an honest evaluation of it because there's really luck involved that's all going to even out so let's just look at the good high level consistency which is actually something you can measure right i mean it's not eliminating those big plays it's just lowering the the weight that goes into something like this it's trying to say what is the most predictive going forward let's give that the highest weight what is the least predictive let's let's lower that down and so baker mayfield's number one right Baker Mayfield's number one. He's the best. <laughs> Baker Mayfield is the best at everything. No, how does so Baker's played a half. Baker's played a half and a drive. How does Baker Mayfield look in your in your evaluation? Well, he looks pretty good. I mean, he's he's solidly in the in the top ten, approaching the top five. Now this year, we've seen some pretty stellar quarterback play near the top. Uh, I mean, it won't come as a surprise to anyone that according to this metric, Patrick Mahomes is number one so so far this year. Um, but you know, there's some other guys that are near the top that haven't performed as well on a, like I said, on a yardage basis, but they've been very successful. So Drew Brees is second where Mm -hmm. he would be all the way in the teens. If you looked at how many yards per attempt that he's, that he's generating. And then we have rivers golf up the top, 
Matt Ryan. Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's actually been the most efficient on a yards per per attempt basis. But like I said, by de-weighting those big plays, he falls all the way back there. And then, and then Mayfield in that same sort of category. So he's up there in that elite tier because he was consistently moving the ball, even though they didn't have big plays. So as you look at Baker Mayfield as a player, both through the, you know, just the eye test as a football observer and through numbers that, again, it's a very small sample size, obviously, professionally for Baker Mayfield, but we saw what he did at Oklahoma. Just It seems to me on some level that maybe this metric you're talking about is like a perfect Baker Mayfield metric because we're not necessarily looking at Baker Mayfield as he's going to need, he's going to throw 50 yard touchdown passes three times a game. But the idea of consistently being successful, consistently moving the ball and making throws and making those intermediate throws that pick up first downs on a regular basis. Does that sound like a Baker Mayfield type of metric? Does that sound like a Baker Mayfield formula of success to you? I think it does with the Browns roster as it's uh, as it's currently comprised. I mean, the question will be whether or not some of the more explosive guys like like Callaway or maybe even Joku can can start to consistently make plays. I mean, I think what you saw from Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma, it wasn't like he was just dinking and dunking down the field or barely getting successful plays. They had tons of explosive long plays and they had some very explosive re- receivers that were on there too. So what I think what Baker Mayfield does is he puts receivers in a position to make big plays. I think mean, you saw that in the preseason with the, the 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 quick slant to Callaway that he took to the house and and really having accuracy. So he puts those guys in a position to make big plays, but ultimately uh, it comes down to not just the quarterback but the receiver having to make those big plays. So I think he's going to give he's going to give the team a lot of opportunities, but also if if they don't have that opportunities if they're not getting that consistent wide receiver play, he also has the ability to to march the ball down the field uh, in a fashion that may be a little bit more deliberate. Kevin, as you evaluate young quarterbacks in this league right now, and again, we're having these guys from the 2018 draft who are getting their chances now. Sam Darnold started from week one. Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, and Josh Rosen are starting now. We know Lamar Jackson at some point, maybe not this year, but at some point the Ravens are going to give him a shot. They join Mitch Trubisky, Deshaun Watson, and Patrick Mahomes from the 17 class, and also now that Garoppolo's hurt, C.J. Beathard from that class is now the starter in San Francisco. They joined Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, and and Dak Prescott from 2016. They join Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston, although maybe Jameis Winston will never get his job back, from the 2015 class. Looking at numbers, just looking at at everything you look at as as a football evaluator, where do you think we are in terms of young quarterbacks? Is this the next crop of quarterbacks that is going to define the NFL? For the next decade, as Ben Roethlisberger and Tom Brady and Drew Brees age out of the league? Or do you look at this group of of 12 quarterbacks or so, and do you have a lot of questions about these guys? Or did I just name off a lot of guys that you expect to be around and be successful for 10 years? Yeah, I think we we have a strong chance of entering a new quarterback age here with, with these guys. I mean, if you think about... There was kind of a dark period there for a while where not only were there not many high draft picks, but there really weren't many successful quarterbacks coming out. I mean, you had Cam Newton, who was drafted first overall 
who ended up uh, playing well. But then within the same draft, you had guys like Ponder and Gabbard who didn't play well. You had Matt Ryan uh, a handful of years before that. You have someone like Matthew Stafford who – Despite the the gaudy stats, he's probably been about a league average type of quarterback his his entire career. And then even before that, you had you know number one pick of uh, Sam Bradford or some. But but th- there were some dark years there in the in the mid in the in the late two thousands to early to early teens here. And now from two thousand from basically two thousand and fifteen going on, uh, you've had a lot of early picks of the quarterback position. You've had a, you've had a decent amount of success. I mean, I know Winston and. Mariota haven't been great the last few years, but they were fairly successful coming out, and I think that they've performed at or slightly above the kind of your average quarterback metric. But um, you know, you not only have guys who performed particularly well in college, but you have uh, high draft picks, and ultimately, it's it's extremely difficult to even just dig into the numbers or or else to figure out who is going to play well or who isn't. And that draft position encompasses everything that goes into. Uh, the scouting, the evaluation, that's extremely important. And it also goes into what sort of opportunity they're going to get going forward. So uh, I think this is the crop of new quarterbacks that we're seeing. And you see a lot of these guys already performing well last year. And then this year with, with, with the newest crop in Mahomes getting an opportunity, they're really going to be uh, in the top half of the league, I think. Just to do a little Mahomes tangent for a moment. You and I were involved in a, in a brief Twitter discussion with Benjamin Albright, who's an NFL guy that I think is really smart out of Denver. Um yesterday and I had been on the show before the uh before the 2017 draft on takes by the lake and he was talking about Patrick Mahomes and the Browns he thought that was a possibility at number 12 uh he liked Mahomes he was he had sources telling him the Browns had interest and then we know that John Dorsey in Kansas City traded up to the Bill spot at number 10 and took Patrick Mahomes there, took him out from under the Browns, potentially. Some people also say that the Saints at number 11, they ended up taking Marshawn Lattimore. Maybe they would have taken Mahomes at 11 ahead of the Browns, and the Browns were just not going to get Mahomes at 12. But anyway, the point is, I think it's there's a reason. there are reasons to believe that the Browns liked Patrick Mahomes, and there is a universe where Patrick Mahomes would be the Browns quarterback right now. When you look at Mahomes, when you look at your numbers or other metrics that you trust, or again, just what you've seen, does Patrick Mahomes seem like a guy that this is sustainable? Are we seeing the start of an electric NFL career? And again, we know he's not going to throw five touchdown passes every game. But but is this a guy who's going to dominate NFL quarterback play for the next decade, or are there possibly any holes in his game where maybe he's busted a couple big plays, maybe a little luck involved or that kind of thing, and he's going to come back down to earth on some level? I mean, it's it's early to say, obviously, for someone who has just started this hit four games, you know, three right. of them this year. Uh, I mean, as the number ten pick, that that's a strong pick, but it's not an extremely high success rate in that sort of pick. I think the Browns probably did have interest in him, and one of the big reasons I believe that is true is because there is a quarterback prospect model out there. It's called Q Base, and it's uh, Football Outsiders does it, and that model was actually developed by. Uh, the chief strategist for player personnel on the Browns, Andrew Healy, who came to the team a couple of years ago. And Mahomes was the top quarterback, according to that metric last year, despite the fact that at the time that the analysis was run, he wasn't seen as being 
as high of a draft pick as uh, Mitchell Trubisky or as Deshaun Watson, but he had really strong numbers as far as how successful he was throwing the ball, how consistent he was doing that, um, his high completion percentage that he had. So he kind of had it all. And then from a an anecdotal observer appearance, obviously there's there doesn't seem to be a whole lot he can't do throwing the ball. Um, and he's, he's very athletic also. So I think all of that combined gives him a very successful chance going forward. But, you know, football is a game where you're dependent upon the players around you. And we saw Alex Smith played in a, you could almost say MVP adjacent sort of, sort of way last year. And we've never seen something like that from him. So putting all those guys around Patrick Mahomes, and it looks like they're going to be there for at least the next few years, really gives him, I think, a very high floor going forward. When you look, and Kevin, we'll start digging into the defense here in a second, but that just uh, your metrics, other metrics that you like out there for evaluating quarterback play. Who, who, are, who is the guy in the league that you're particularly high on right now that you feel like from a quarterback standpoint there's enough of a base to really evaluate him? Probably in the, there's nobody in the 2018 draft class that would qualify for that. But are you like, are you? do you think Goff is going to be it? Do you think what Wentz showed – um, in his opportunities before he got hurt, is is he that guy? Um, I, I don't know. Is there, is there anybody else? Who do you think, if you had to guess right now, who the best quarterback in the NFL is going to be maybe five or six years from now, who would you put your money on? That's a tough one. Um, I think because of... You know, I, I'm, I'm going to eliminate Mahomes from the discussion. I think it's possible, but I think I need to see just a little bit more from him right now. And... I'm not going to say that uh, – maybe I'll frame it a little bit differently and say that I'm, I'm going to skew towards players I think who are who are not seen as being as great. I mean I think the difference between Goff and Wentz is pretty tiny if not, if not Goff actually being slightly better. I mean he was – I think objectively if you look through measures like I mentioned, the, the quarterback prospect model and things like that, he was a very high performer in that metric – I think he's really seemed to be coming into his own. I mean, a lot of people have given credit to McVeigh and what he's done. But then there's a lot of stuff that Peterson's done for, for Wentz also. So I, I think Goff is a guy where he could be right there with Carson Wentz going forward. Those are probably the two that I would point to just because you have good, strong quarterback play in, for an entire year in their second year, continuing on into this year. But I think I might even lean Goff slightly, which most people would not do. Okay. let me. I'm gonna, Before we go to the defense, I want to ask one other thing. So we're in a world where the Browns felt comfortable drafting at number one overall, a quarterback who did not necessarily fit um, physically what the model of the typical NFL quarterback had been, at least previous to the last couple years. Knowing what you know about how quarterbacks are evaluated, knowing what you know about the various metrics and the way you can look at numbers and performance and project forward, is the NFL getting smarter at evaluating quarterbacks, you mentioned there was sort of that dark period where there were a bunch of misses in there. You know what? And there's misses lately, too. You know, Paxton Lynch is a tall guy that John Elway took in the first round, and they dumped him. Christian Hackenberg is a big guy who wasn't very good at Penn State, got picked in the second round, and did nothing with the Jets. So there are still misses, obviously, out there. But as you look at it now, how would you say the NFL does how, how good of a job or bad of a job do they do in evaluating quarterbacks and trying to figure out who's actually going to be good at this? Yeah, it's, it's one of those situations where I don't expect there to be a dramatic increase in in the hit rate, but 
we're seeing a lot of guys go earlier, so that means that there's more confidence that teams are showing in the picks that are being made. I mean, it, it's difficult to separate whether or not these quarterbacks are just more talented than than quarterbacks in the past, and that's why that they're going earlier and seem to be performing a little bit a little bit better, at least versus uh, the, the 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 dark period that I talked about there in quarterbacks. So I, I think there's more information out there. I think that. It depends on the on the you know the the, the social media Twitter circles that you th- that you're a part of, but I see a lot more willingness from people to say, "Hey, why wouldn't Baker Mayfield be a number one overall pick when you watch him?" And clearly, he seems like he's the best player. I think there were probably you know that there was there was stuff written about his velocity and, and how that could be an issue, and that just seems kind of absurd watching what we've seen for him. And there's even objective measures that I've seen out there about uh, radar guns at the combine, the fact that he was second to to Josh Allen out of this last class. So I, I think teams are becoming smarter, if only because they, as much as they may want to stay in a bubble and stay within their own parameters on how they evaluate, I think the fact that there are so many you know amateur evaluators out there who are bringing up questions, who are saying why not Baker Mayfield when we've seen guys like Russell Wilson and Drew Brees be successful, maybe they're taking an extra look at those or thinking a little bit harder about that. And reporters uh, like yourself are becoming more, uh, probably more engaged and a little bit smarter about the process. So all of that, I think, is going to lead to better decisions going forward. All right. So, Kevin Cole, you do not have uh, any pre-existing connection to Cleveland football. You are not a Northeast Ohio native. You grew up in California. Um, but I, as I follow people on Twitter, um, I have noticed over the years that you have been um, a proponent or you have said positive things about the way the Browns went about trying to get this right. So as we sit here now, as you look at the Cleveland Browns and as you look at the numbers around the Cleveland Browns and as you just evaluate this roster and evaluate this team, what, how do you think it went? Like, do you do you feel as you evaluate the Browns the way you evaluate football? Do you feel like they're ready to be a good team? I, I do. Now, I think it's difficult to grasp how quickly things can turn around in sports, especially in a league like the NFL, where you know the the Browns last year they 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 were zero sixteen. Everyone knows that. Now, even with historically awful quarterback play from Kaiser, they were still a team that probably should have won according to how they played and point differential and all those things. They should have won somewhere between three and four games. So when you think about adding a even a, a, a league average or even a, even, a, even a bottom half quarterback who's not you know bottom bottom like like Kaiser was, that's going to be a couple more wins. I mean that's going that's going to be huge to the roster. And then you combine that with the fact that the roster that they had last year had so many players that either had one year of experience or zero years of experience. So right. I mean those players are only going up by one additional year of experience. but when you think about it proportionally is all these rookies that had zero who are now going up to one, a lot of players who had one year that are going to two years. So this is a dramatic improvement combined with the fact that they've, they've been spending money not only this offseason, but also last offseason. I mean, they rebuilt the offensive line and some other things last offseason. So I think that this is a thing where a quarterback can really unlock a lot of what an offense can potentially do. And if you combine that with the fact that the Browns offense was was pretty good. You know, it was about a, a league average offense last year. I mean, sorry, the Browns defense was pretty good, about a league average defense last year. If they can play play well going forward um i mean they could be 
extremely good. Uh, good this year. I remember Mike Clay at ESPN was saying that they were someone who could potentially play for a wild card spot this year, and everyone thought that was crazy. I think if Baker Mayfield can play well, and as a guy who played so well in college, you know, as a 23 year old too, he's not a young guy like Darnold. Darnold's over two years younger. Than, than Mayfield is. I right. mean, Mayfield could be ready now to, to take this team to approaching, you know, an 8-8 eight eight or even a winning record. When you look at it, Kevin, and, and when you think about um, a football franchise and, and maybe what a bad team should do to try to improve, would you have done what the Browns did? Or just what do you think, again, as you evaluate the league right now, what's the best way <laughs> for a terrible team to try to go about this, that again, I've made it very public that I thought sucking and then bottoming out and trying to build up from there made a lot of sense. A lot of fans have said that was a lot. That was a lot of pain. It was very hard to go out there and sit there on a Sunday for a team that went one and thirty-one. There was pain in the locker room for these guys who don't have super long careers. They, they people had to go through a lot to try to make this work. And maybe you didn't have to do that. Maybe you could have, you know. Still tried to win a few games, but still gotten to this point where you built back up. Just the approach, the idea, what do you think works? What do you think is the smart thing to do in the modern NFL if you stink? Well, I guess there are varying levels of how much that a team stinks in the NFL. I mean, I think there are a lot of uh, straw man arguments when it comes to people who criticize what the Browns did or what the Sixers did. You know, the, the arguments are... Well, you can win other ways. It's not the only way to win. Um, that that you know that that it, you're, you're not guaranteed to be successful if you do something like that. And I, I don't think people who are proponents of this strategy believe either one of those things. I mean, the the issue is, can we tilt the odds in our favor to be successful in the long term? And I think what the the Browns' previous regime with with Sashi Brown did was was highly focused on that, and a lot of people say, well, it's easy. You can just not play well and trade back, and there's no there's no skill involved in that. And it, it's kind of interesting because the point is that you're supposed you're supposed to be increasing your odds no matter how good you are at drafting or something like that. So that's kind of the point that you're supposed to be able to do it without having to have some extraordinary skill. And also, it may be easy to do, but it's not easy for a general manager. I mean, if you look at the two architects of of these uh, rebuilding efforts in in Cleveland, and then for the Philadelphia 76 and the NBA, I mean, they were both out of a job eventually. So there's a lot of incentive to not do that. I mean, I understand for teams that it was very difficult the last two years. I fully believe that. Going 0-16 last year was not in the plan, and if Kaiser could have played a little bit better, they, they probably could have won quite a few games. I mean, they spent a decent amount of money in the offseason, so I, I don't think the plan should be for the number one pick multiple years in a row. Like you probably, it probably is a better plan in the NBA where the talent is really concentrated near the top. But I do think the one year where they essentially cleared things out, decided not to re-sign players who were approaching 30, gather all the the uh, the, the compensatory picks, and then start to build at that point is the right plan. The, the thing is it just takes a little bit longer, and I think the pain that's been suffered is bad and concentrated over two years, but we're also talking about a franchise where over, I think, the previous 13 years there was only one winning season. So it's probably primed in a spot where if the Browns can play well this year and going forward, it'll just be it'll be a distant memory as opposed to droning on with a mediocre team for many, many years. 
So just spinning back briefly to the, to the defense again, Kevin, is there anything in the numbers or anything in the way that you evaluate that when you take Miles Garrett with the number one pick as a defensive end and you come back the next year and you take Denzel Ward at number four at cornerback and you make what looks like a really good deal um, and you, you flip Deshaun Kaiser into Demarius Randall, just I guess even especially Garrett and Ward, is there a way that, that you can describe, that the numbers can describe how much an elite defensive end and how much a playmaking cornerback are worth in the modern NFL in terms of making your team better? It seems like, obviously, they had to get a franchise quarterback here. But in the meantime, also in the top five of the draft, they managed to address what seems to be the two most important positions on the defensive side of the field. And again, they might have Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward paired together for a lot of years here as a pass rusher and a pass defender that could really lay a foundation for their defense. Is that is that a good use of draft capital, the way it worked out for the Browns, to spend that one and four pick on an end in a corner? Yeah, I, I think those two positions, <clears throat> I mean, it's probably something where coaches and NFL executives have a good intuitive sense for this, and I think I think they're right that the edge rusher is probably the most important position on the defense, but I think cornerback is fairly close. You look at some studies that pro football focus has done, uh, focusing, focusing specifically on when certain quarterbacks or cornerbacks are playing or they aren't playing. They found that maybe they feel like cornerbacks are even more important than than a defensive end. But uh, like I said, I think it's I think it's difficult to separate. But from a numbers basis, uh, I mean, just on on studies that I've seen where they try to quantify the effect because it's difficult when you don't when you have very lumpy stats even something like a quarterback hurry or quarterback pressure is lumpy in it and really is affected by how long the quarterback holds the ball things like that but there are other metrics that people have tried to quantify in a in a point basis how much someone is worth and I know that um, there's a there's a gentleman Rufus Peabody who's a who's a very uh, intelligent and successful sports better who who's done a lot of uh, quantitative work and i remember him saying that khalil mack he pegged him as being worth about one and a half points per game and it's difficult to quantify exactly what that means but that means maybe for an average team you know you're going to win an extra at least an extra game by having someone like that it doesn't sound like a lot but that's a high impact for one particular player so i think miles garrett being near the top taking near the top we're talking about getting the highest player on the board highest defensive player on the board two years in a row and pairing that with the the, the highest quarterback on the, on the board in a year where there were four quarterbacks taken in the top ten, five in the first round. I mean, that, that just gives you a lot of opportunity to be right when you're taking players that early. And I think if you have a couple of hits there, that could really found a, that can really be a great foundation and everyone will be on a rookie contract at the same time. So it's really powerful for the next for the next few years. The hard decisions are going to come into play where, okay, are we going to make Miles Garrett the highest paid defensive player in the league and then Mayfield and then Ward and so on? Those are when the hard decisions come. This is a time where you're really setting yourself up for a high chance of success when you have all of those players taken so early. All right, I want to spend one one more question back to the offensive side of the ball, Kevin, and just if there's any numbers that you have to talk about Brown's offensive players beyond the quarterback position, whether it's Carlos Hyde's history or the history of Jarvis Landry, who obviously his um, yards per catch is way up this year, the way the Browns are using him compared to the way the Dolphins used him. You know, David and Joku, I think people are still waiting for a breakout for him. Callaway has barely been here, but has flashed some potential. Do you? 
how, how would you generally assess Brown's posit- skill player guys as Baker Mayfield weapons? Do you feel pretty good about what they have with Baker Mayfield right now, or do you feel like something that you know in the next year maybe as they if they really try to take this thing to the next level? Because I do think. We're, it's it's crazy, Kevin. We're one win into this. They won one game, and Baker Mayfield has played a half. And I'm about to say the phrase, if the Browns don't make the playoffs in 2019, there should be legitimate questions. But like, I feel like that's the point we're getting to, that you just see enough, and you see what's happening with the rest of the AFC North. That I don't think they're a playoff team right now, but 2019 – that absolutely should be the expectation. When you evaluate the skill guys on offense, are they there or how much do they need to add to get to that point, especially considering the fact that Josh Gordon's gone? Yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty optimistic about the skill position players around there. I think what you see, though, is with Callaway and Joku in particular, you see potential. Uh, you don't really know what you're going to get, but I think that both of them were very strong draft picks. I mean, obviously, Callaway was not someone who would have gone in the fourth round if it wasn't for a lot of the off-the-field issues that that he had. And I'm kind of going to I'm going to try to ignore those for now and just say that that that's just an additional layer of risk that he that he could disappear essentially at some moment because of because of some issues there. But I think those guys have a lot of potential. And if you look at someone like Jarvis Landry. I wasn't a big fan of signing him only because of the the price tag, but I think the Browns are in are in a unique position now, where especially this year and next year they have so much cap space. You can roll over cap space from year to year. That spending on a player like that, he's a guy where he doesn't do the things that you associate with your prototype wide receiver one. And like you mentioned, how he was being deployed in Miami, he wasn't. He, he, wasn't, he didn't have a high yards per reception, but the yards that he was generating per target, and that's really what we're talking about, the yards per play that's being used. I mean, if you have a high yards per, per reception, but you're only catching the ball 50% of the time, it's not nearly as useful. So he, he was catching the ball a lot, and he was generating yards after the catch. So I think that he's always been actually a guy who's an efficient receiver, not a top-end receiver, but he was an efficient receiver doing the routes that he's doing there. And I think that he could be an even more efficient receiver as he expands the routes that he's running. I think we, we saw that with a, a slight taste of that with Baker Mayfield. Um, to go back to Carlos Hyde, I mean, I'm more in the, in the ballpark of running the ball. There's, there's a lot of replaceable options doing that. But he is a guy, as a former second-round pick, who's been successful. I think he's a solid option going forward. Obviously, they have Chubb or someone else to come in there. So I think they have a, they have a lot of pieces there. And I agree with you. When you combine that with the fact that the, the, they spend a lot of money on the interior offensive line, all three of those guys have 80-plus uh, pass-blocking ratings from PFF. They're all near the top of their position in the interior. If they can get some decent play from from the tackles and you combine that with the way Baker Mayfield plays, I, t- I totally agree that they should, they should be competing for the playoffs next year. And if they aren't, then there better be a, a major injury or something like that to explain it. Kevin Cole, is there anything else you want to say? Anything, any number that you want to drop on us before I let you go? Because I just I like this kind of stuff. I want to make sure I'm not, uh, I'm not leaving anything out. Well, you know, I don't know if I have a particular number that that I wanna that I wanna drop there, but I will say that 
you know, the, just to quantify the Browns' defense so far, a number that I saw the other day, which I thought was interesting, is there's a there's a metric by Football Outsiders, uh, DVOA, where it's basically looking at quality and it's trying to suss out success rate and things like that. So the Browns' defense so far this year, I know there's been a lot of focus on turnovers. Now turnovers are highly de-weighted in this in this sort of metric, but they're fourth in the NFL right now, and that does not account for opponent strength. So it doesn't account for the fact that they played the Steelers and they played the Saints. So you know they they actually are playing so far like a top-notch defense and could easily be, I mean, this could be a 3-0 team this year if a lot of things that had gone differently. So I would say be excited. Be more excited than, than you want to be as a Browns fan because I know last year there was a lot of excitement and things didn't pan out, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be continually disappointed. So I think there's definitely upside. Kevin Cole, great stuff. Uh, I love these kind of conversations, so I appreciate you taking time out of your day. Um, we'll have you on again sometime, but for now, um, thanks so much for your help and good luck at Roto Grinders. Okay, thanks, Doug. Thank you, Kevin. And that's it for this Takes by the Lake. Thanks to Kevin Cole. Thanks to you guys for listening. I'll be at Ohio State, Penn State, and State College this weekend. Um, expecting the Browns to beat the Raiders and uh, for the Browns to come back. <coughs> Excuse me. With the winning record. Come home with a winning record for next week. What a world it could be. Thanks to you guys again. Um, we'll talk to you next week. Actually, next next week we should have two takes by the lake. We'll have a uh, special one early in the week on Monday. Uh, I, I spoke with uh, the two directors of the HBO documentary Student Athlete that is uh, executive produced by LeBron James. It's uh, a look at how, in their view, the NCAA sort of takes advantage of, uh, of, of athletes, college athletes. And again, uh, LeBron James and Maverick Carter are involved. Um, it's it's a different kind of conversation. Some of you probably disagree with that premise and won't like it, maybe. But maybe you'll want to listen, even if you don't like it. And some of you, if you agree with that premise, will probably find it very interesting. I found the conversation interesting, even if maybe you don't agree with everything. So that should probably be out on Monday. And then I have a, a guest in mind that I really would like to get next week to talk about the Browns. And if I get him, I think it'll be really good. So again, um, thanks as always to you guys for listening. I'm Doug Maurice. That was Takes by the Lake, and we'll talk to you next time.